see. We're on a mission from God. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Qureshi, also known as The Q. And today's guest is someone that I've known and worked with for about four years. And he and I actually have done podcasting at work together. So uh, we should be able to pull this one off with no problem. Please say hello to Docs Gonzalez. Hey, Docs. Hi, Q. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm happy to see you. Here uh, you know. Yes, I'm happy to hear you too. It's been, you know, I, I heard you, you know, talking about how we we tend to do this at work often, and I miss going in and chatting with you every week on our work podcast. But it should be more fun chatting with you on a personal podcast. Yeah, because we can cuss on this podcast. Oh, can we for real? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! We can, and we can talk about whatever we want. Like we're really limited in our subject matter at work, but. That's we can true. run the gambit here. We're limited to the things that only I know. So, I mean, <laughs> it, we can talk about a bunch of stuff that I don't know about on this podcast. That's right. Which is yeah. the most interesting conversation. Yeah. So every time I do one of these, I start out with a set of three icebreaker questions. Not that you need them because you are, you're a professional, but I still feel like they're fun to ask. So sure. the first- I actually like, I like, icebreakers. I know a lot of people don't, but I do like them. I think they're fun. You get Are to they? know people. I hate them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But my friend, my friend Yasmin, who was on the episode Bleak? right before this one. Huh? Um, no, um, <laughs> no, a different Yasmin. You okay, don't know her, okay. but she, 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 she loves them too. Like she just, mm -hmm. she's one of those people that is super excited to do icebreakers. So I, I welcome that, but I'm not one of those people. Okay. But I do recognize their value. So here we go. The first question is, what is the last thing that you watched on television? Mm, the last thing that I... Um, it was, a, uh, it was a, a Hulu movie. It was a Book of Blood, I think, or Books of Blood. It was, like a, it was a horror anthology. So it was, And honestly, I only got through uh, two or three of the, of the individual stories. But you know, it's little you know, scary stories to tell in the dark kind of stuff. Okay. Is yeah. that your usual fare? I didn't know you were into horror. Oh, oh, I'm big into horror. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, uh, if I wasn't in this little blanket tent, you would see all the, my horror movie posters around my, my living room. It is one of my favorite genres. Ah. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just so fascinating. I mean, it's, I have a couple kids and when they were little, little, they're still little, they're seven and 11, but they're relatively a little bit older than like two or three mm -hmm. um and they would be like scared of monsters you know i'd always tell them i was like guys you know like monsters are they're not real they're just things that people make up to represent their fears right right and so that's what i love about horror films is that a lot of it is just really looking at what we're scared about in ourselves and then how we manifest that in different creatures or ghosts or whatever and so well, that's an interesting um, take yeah, it's it's really fun. So, but those kinds of things, I don't find them scary, and I don't find them particularly interesting. The things that um, terrify I can me, make, <laughs> I can make some are recommendations. Like, <laughs> are like more, you know what? Actually, I find more terrifying are like real stories of people who do terrible things, mm. or, or or like super suspenseful things that have to do with the unknown. Like that's that's where my 
realm of terror lies. Like terror that involves actual monsters. I'm like, eh. Mm. So I don't know what that says about me psychologically. Maybe that I'm terrified of the unknown. No, I mean, I think that's that's really fair. And I, and I wouldn't say that, you know, watching something like Friday the 13th is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's, it's campy or it's fun or whatever. And I often find myself laughing more than, you know, cringing during a lot of these movies. But but I totally agree. Like the, the ones that get me are, um, and so uh, while I'm not Catholic anymore, I was raised Catholic. And so anything dealing with like exorcisms yeah. or demons yeah. or possession, like that stuff always gets me. One, because it's that feeling of powerlessness, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't stop this thing. And uh, I tell myself that I don't believe in ghosts and stuff like that because I don't like to think that somebody could come <laughs> into my home and just start you know, throwing stuff around and doing weird things. And I recently found out that I kind of feel the same way about aliens too, because aliens, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, you you see some of those movies and they can do whatever they want to you and you can't really stop them sometimes. Did you see this news that came out this week about the Israeli scientist who said that the governments of Israel and America have been in contact with aliens? Like, this is a legitimate scientist who is now saying that we, we have made contact with aliens and that we are just not ready for it. And so our governments haven't really clued us in yet. Wow. So I have not heard that. And that would be fascinating. I feel like it'd be such a, you know, I, the, one of the reasons why I always don't give a lot of credence to uh, conspiracy theories is because of just the natural tendency for people to talk. Like it's really hard to keep a secret. Uh-huh. Right. It's really right. hard to keep a secret. And right. so, yeah, maybe this is one of the, this is that starting of a, of a leak of a secret, right? Like this guy coming out. So I'm definitely gonna look into that. I think that's, um, I will send you the link because what he yeah. said is that I guess Trump had said something about it before he had made some comment about it. And, and <laughs> well, now, now I'm, I'm really believing all of this. <laughs> no, but no, but that, but the scientist was like, yeah, he slipped. He knows about it. He said something about it, but like, we've all told them to like rein that in because we can't let everybody know. I don't know, but this was in the Jerusalem Post, and this was a legitimate Israeli scientist who's like in his 80s, who's won all these awards. He's like an actual academic. So I have no idea what the hell this is all about, but I am super intrigued, and God, I hope there's aliens. Oh, I honestly believe that there are aliens out there somewhere, and that there's life on other planets somewhere. I would imagine that it'd be a lot farther out than what we have the capability to actually reach mm-hmm. um, even communications wise you know the universe is so vast where that life exists I, I i imagine it to be like in other galaxies right but yeah that that would be fascinating and i don't know how how the world would react you know i mean gosh we kind of flipped out over those monoliths that started appearing <laughs> you know? yeah so so if if we had an actual um a government statement saying we've been talking to aliens, I'd imagine that it'd just be like, we'd probably destroy ourselves before we had a chance to meet the aliens. So. Yeah. Well, think about all of the implications for like religion and politics. Like a lot of the stuff that people do is based on the premise that we're this unique little special species that sits mm-hmm. on this one little place in the corner of the universe and that mm-hmm. there's a deity that's responsible for it. And that would kind of, throw a lot throw a big wrench in all of that yeah well that's when you find like that secret lost scroll you know somewhere that was like oh wait it you know he created this planet and other planets we just we only focus on this one because it was it's you know relevant to us i guess i don't know oh all right all right whatever (laughs) i mean whatever uh all i'm saying is i'm ready like i don't know if anyone else is ready but let's bring on the aliens bring it on i think it'd be great i think it'd be great 
Okay, the second question is, what's the last book that you read? Oh, the last book that I read. <sighs> you know, I, do, I don't read a lot of books because I'm, I'm an avid movie goer or fan now. I, I can't really go to the movies anymore. So I spend most of my free time watching movies and not even shows. So if you ask me like for a TV show, I can't tell you like a show. It's mm-hmm. usually movies. It was probably either a Star Wars book because mm-hmm. I did read a lot of those. Like the little novella, like the it's series a, that are just sort of iterative. Oh yeah, the ones the that, that yeah. uh, the ones that actually don't count anymore. They they deleted <laughs> all that canon, but but they still exist in my head. Are you watching The Mandalorian? Oh, of course, I'm watching The Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. What do you think um, about it? I love Star Wars way too much, and so mm-hmm. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that even has a little whiff of Star Wars, I really enjoy, and and I have enjoyed it, and it. it Reminds me a lot of those old shows growing up where, you know, like um, the Hulk or, you know, the A-team would go from town to town, solving uh-huh. problems and then like move on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I really like that, that aspect of it. And I feel like they're really doing a lot to bring in or at least show like other parts of the universe that we've seen elsewhere and bring it into this show. And so, yeah, I've just, I really enjoyed it. My kids enjoy it. We, it's something we get to really just geek out on so we have a lot of fun with it yeah i have to say i think that is like one of the only things that every single person in my house agrees on we don't even all watch it together but we all watch it at different Mm -hmm. times and really like it and i'm the same i mean i i'm not one of these people that's like a purist when it comes to my fandoms like i like whatever i mean it's all good i i i'm not gonna say i liked the star wars prequels but i didn't hate them Right. Like even that was all right. I mean, whatever. Like if somebody's going to produce some kind of creative thing based on these ideas or these stories and do it, you know, with a genuine attempt to be entertaining, I'm going to appreciate it. Uh, Some is better than others, but it's all good. I completely agree. And you know how a lot of people say that, you know, there's a reason for everything, which I don't really agree with that. But I feel uh-huh. I feel we can learn from everything, right? There's something that we can learn from everything. So I guess if the reason is you learn something, whatever. <laughs> but, um, in these, even in the prequels, there's stuff to take from there that is pretty cool. And even if it's just to um, expand on the canon, right? To give you a backstory and you don't have to necessarily like all of it. And really my kids, their love of Star Wars came from watching the prequels, mm. right? Like they that's what resonates with them. Like they like clone troopers more than they like stormtroopers, you know, mm. and that's fine because if it, if it got them to a place where now we have something to share, I, uh, I'll, I'll take it and, um, and they'll watch the rest. And, and I imagine that, you know, for the newer generation, it'll be the new trilogy, right? The, the, with Ray and all those folks, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, people that like to hate on stuff will find things to hate on. Regardless. So I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in that camp haters haters God. as if we don't have enough things to hate on in the world well, i don't want to hate on any of the I star know. wars i know we have to hate on stuff that's like completely voluntary and optional <laughs> <laughs> like i'm gonna go put myself through that you know who has the don't... energy for this this amount of hate i just don't yeah. have it i think i'm I just know. a profoundly lazy person like i just don't want to <laughs> hate on anything i have hey headed. do not knock on laziness it is the um the mother of all innovation because the only reason why we do stuff is that we don't have to do it the hard way word so my friend <laughs> word i think we're on the same page here 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. okay the last icebreaker question is what did you have for breakfast what did i have for breakfast mm-hmm. uh for breakfast i had some uh week old oatmeal that was in the fridge what um yeah that's disgusting well, you know, so um 
so so I'm divorced, so I don't have my kids half time, right? And uh-huh. so when my kids are gone, it's kind of just like clean out the fridge time. So whatever <laughs> leftovers are there, that's what I have for my meals throughout the day. And as I uh, went through rummaging in the in the fridge this morning, there was a little Gladware thing, and and I opened it, and I was like, oh, there's oatmeal in here. It's perfectly good oatmeal, and it was it was actually pretty good. I I I can make a decent oatmeal. <laughs> did you did you do anything special to it? It was just you know like oatmeal with uh, apples and cinnamon and stuff, a little bit of syrup. All right, all right. Yeah, it's all right. Well, that's fancy. not that bad. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. I can I can cook. I mean I can. I, I mean I, I I believe you. Um, when they're here, you know, it's like breakfast tacos and you know other things for for breakfast. But uh, when they're not, it's kind of like, uh, do I really want to dirty a pan? So that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. But okay. Hey, man. Like, I appreciate your um, willingness to eat leftovers. Like, that's a big fight in my house is trying to convince people that leftovers are a legitimate choice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, They're the no. best, right? Sometimes need, that's need, all I want is a leftover. If you need help, just call me. I'll come over okay. and I'll, eat your, I'll help you eat your leftovers. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking that the other night because I made something and put it out for my family because, you know, we're all adults running around now and so I just do buffet style most of the time in the evening I'll cook something and set it out and people come in and out and eat and I made them something it was like lasagna or something and I was like well that looks okay but I actually really want that leftover stuff that I saw in the fridge and I was like I am now fully a middle-aged mom that that was like I have made the choice of eating leftovers (laughs) Oh, my, one of the saddest things for me is whenever I, I'm really looking forward to eating a particular leftover and oh. so I'll make something for the kids and I'll pull out the leftover and then my, my older son will be the one to look at it and be like, oh, dad, can I have that instead? And so I'm going <laughs> to let him have it because I love him, but just a little piece of my heart dies. It yeah. just, I'm like, oh, I was so looking forward to that all day and now I'm going to have to eat like whatever it is I made you instead. That's why you um, have to wait till like they go to bed to eat dinner. But they get sad. It, like if, if they eat without me, Aww. they're like, dad, you're, you're not eating. Like we feel sad when you don't eat with us. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll eat with you. Here we go. And, and they eat like at six o'clock or 630. Yeah. And I'm just not ready sometimes. But I guess I'll be getting there soon. I'll be hitting up the early bird special at IHOP at some point. Yeah. I mean, we've been like having this conversation the last week or two we get up we've been getting up really early and then you know by by 3 4 p.m if you get up early and you start working immediately and by the middle of the late afternoon you're just like all right i'm done i'm over it and and uh, and i told my husband i'm like yep that's how it happens like and yeah. you get in that cycle and then before you know it you're ordering you know the fish plate at lubies and turning <laughs> in by seven i know if you can find the last remaining lubies i mean i don't, I don't know how many of them are like they it's true. Fought for bankruptcy. They're all they're all gone now. So I heard that. Um, yeah, my mom gets up at the ass crack of dawn and mm. texts me at like three thirty a.m. I'm like, what are you doing, lady? That's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I'm I'm a I'm a night owl, right? I like to be up late, but I recognize, you know, some hours you just don't text people, don't call them, because uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You don't want the little ding going off or whatever. Uh, well, I generally, I keep it off. My thing is off anyway. I just wake up and see the text. Like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, unless, I don't know, my house is on fire, but I would know, I think. But mm-hmm. other than that, I'm pretty selfish about my sleep time. And I don't really, like, any crisis can wait. Well, Call I'm the police. Kicking, 
I'm taking you off my list of people to call if I'm in jail. So I. <laughs> you can call me, just not when I'm sleeping. Well, that's what I'm saying. It'll, it'll, if I get in trouble, it will be after midnight because that's what my mom told me. She said that, you know, nothing good ever happens after midnight. So I'll make sure to put somebody on there that is a night owl. And I feel really bad because the one time that I did have the opportunity to go bail someone out, I didn't like get the phone. I didn't pick it up. And so, well, actually, that's a lie. I picked it up and it was some... It, they do like this like computerized yeah. voice thing, you know, it's like um, the county, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know what it was. And I thought yep. it was a, a crank call. So I hung up. And then a few days later, I realized my friend had been arrested and was asking if I could go bail him out. And Dang, that's, ah, harsh. that's a bummer. I feel really bad. I, I don't have a very good track record of, of coming to rescue of people that need me at the time. Have you ever been to jail, Docs? I have not. No, I I, um, me either. I'm, I'm, I, I abide by most of the laws. So. Do you? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you this now, because we've finished our icebreaker question, so we can move on. Do you feel like you know me now? Uh, (laughs) Kind of. Okay. So uh, you grew up in South Texas. Is that right? I did. McAllen, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big, big ass city that is right for people who don't know that is right on the border between Texas and the country of Mexico. That's right. It is, um, it's about uh, 15, 20 minutes north of the border, wow. uh, depending on where in, in McAllen you live. You know, I really appreciated growing up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, kind of like a, a suburban, agricultural, rural area, sub-rural, I don't know what you would call it. You know, it, it, it has like a mall and all that other stuff and, and lots of hospitals. And But then like you go out a little bit and there's all these orchards and a lot of those orchards are being torn down for, for subdivisions now. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but you know, they're still out there. And, but, but I, I do, I, I appreciate it going up there. I don't, I would probably never go back one because I love my job so much, mm-hmm. but two, um, it's just, you know, I think there's just so much that Austin has to offer. Although I, I am kind of over Austin and I have been for a while, but most really? of my friends are. Yeah. Oh, I have been for a while. It, it's, it's such a homogenous place yeah. sometimes. And so it, it's kind of a bummer, but and and the vibe is just um, so bland, I feel mm. like, for a city that prides itself on being weird, like the weirdness kind of really evaporated a long time ago. Agreed. Um, you know, Agreed. the weirdness now is going to like a, an Insta bar and you know, jumping in a pool of like rubber ducks or whatever. The, I, but I am very uh, defensive about the Valley. And I remember one time, so I used to work for a different association. We were doing a documentary and we were there's there, at the time there's one fly I guess there's only still one flyover in um, it's actually in far which is right next to McAllen but um, that goes from one expressway to the other expressway and we're going up over the flyover and the producer that I was with like looks up looks out the window and she turns to me and she and oddly enough where we were like the neighborhood I grew up in it was like right if you look down like you could see my house right mm-hmm. my childhood home I later like in middle school we moved but she says, how did you ever get out of here? And I was so offended. <laughs> I was so offended. At that. Okay, you cannot like, insult people's birthplace. I don't care if they were born in a garbage dump. You still don't insult a person's birthplace, first yeah, of all. I, I, I just don't. And wow. I don't know how you can make that kind of statement just by seeing an aerial view of, you know, like a, a town. And but Wow. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think now at this point, there's... Was she a white person? She was. Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was very offensive, and I just I remember saying, "Well, I 
went to school. I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> it's it's a really cool place. And I'm I'm actually glad that I still have family there because I get to go visit. Is most of your family still there? Uh, my mom and my brother are still there. Uh, so, um, and then I have a bunch of cousins and aunts and uncles and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So um, it's next to, is it close to Port Isabel? It's about an hour and a half or so okay. away from South Padre Island. Been My grandparents lived there for a while and we oh, yeah. spent a lot of time down there. And I just remember driving down to Mexico when we would visit them. And those are all, there's a certain uh, culture down there in that whole part of Texas that is really different. And it's not just different from Austin. It's different from all like other parts of Texas where it's, I don't know, it's just much more laid back and there's a lot more like communal stuff happening. Like there's people everywhere and stuff happening outside. And I, I, I had a good time when we would go there. I just remember like being outdoors most of the time, people being very friendly Lots of music all the time. There's always something happening outside. Yeah, it, it, there is. And, um, you know, it's really funny when I hear about people wanting to, like, put up walls and, and make it harder for people to cross. Because for years and years and years, and I, I, I'd say generations if I, if I lived that long, but I'm sure my mom and forebears would agree, the border was really in other people's minds. I mean, people would go back and forth all the time for, uh-huh. like, they'd live in Mexico, work here, or they'd live here, work there, or they just cross just to go eat. Like we would just cross just to go have dinner on a Tuesday night, you know? Right. And, um, and I remember when they made it to where you needed a, a passport to get back in, it was such a weird concept to me, you know? I, I, and I was, I remember like I went down to go visit and I didn't take our passports, our family's passports. And my mom said, well, we can't go because you can't get back. <laughs> and it was just so, it was so odd. Cause you just used to walk across and then walk back and, yep. you know, pay your 50 cents or whatever. And then you could do that. And, uh, and now you just can't. And, you know, and, and it is, I don't want, so it definitely is a little more dangerous than it was growing up. Right. And uh, it's mostly just a lot of cartel activity and and there has been an increase in um like kidnappings and stuff like that so um but the the thing is it's the valley is there are places there that are essentially just like mexico like it's i mean you know you can still find places to go that give you that same feeling and and get the stuff that you were gonna get across the border anyway usually they're flea markets yeah that's my favorite it's not even the cultural thing like i get that but it's also it's it's like the people that are there like if you have family over there and you know, it, there's this unnatural barrier between you. It's kind of, um, it's kind of like dehumanizing, <laughs> right? To have to like gas permission to go see your family, you know, that's maybe five, six miles away, and you can't even yeah. get there. Like that's yeah. that's kind of creepy. It, it is really weird, and and yeah, just there's just a, a long-standing history of like e- like even within a family that had been there for years, having like mixed citizenship you know, within mm. that family, um, you know, it's just whatever things change, yeah. I guess. I mean, I guess, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough about the politics of all of it to, well, first of all, I don't know enough about it to say whether or not it's a political issue or an economic issue or both. Um, I'm guessing it's probably a little of both, but I just, I, cause I, again, I remember the same thing that you're saying of being really young and like, just, there was no thought of it like it wasn't let's like let's just drive down let's just go to matamoris or let's go not matamoris what's over is it matamoris that is that is, yeah yeah, mm-hmm, yeah yeah let's go to matamoris and spend the day um and it wasn't ever like everybody got your passports or whatever we just hop in the car and go yeah and it was very no one ever we didn't feel threatened we didn't feel it was very natural and normal 
and I don't know why we had to make it not natural and normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people still do cross uh, on a regular basis. It's not it's not unheard of. It's just a lot harder. Yeah, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't say a lot harder. It's just there's another step to take. You know. Yeah. Um, but you know, even in the valley is like, and I'm, I'm so baffled by this um, mentality. But but there are some people that are kind of like, yeah, we need a wall because you know there's like too many people here. Right. They're yeah. like, oh, we're getting too many people. There's too many Mexicans coming. And I'm like, but you're a Mexican. <laughs> it's like, but it's kind of like, it's like this whole feeling of like, well, but like my family got here, um, but now we don't care if anybody else comes across. Uh-huh. Like, that's like enough. And, yeah. Um, and even, even my mom, I remember one time, and this is like recently, I was, I was down there and uh, she said, and, and we were going to go pick up some groceries for, um, for dinner or whatever. And, uh, so she goes, okay, well, which H-E-B are you going to? And so I'm going to the one over there on, on Three Mile Line or whatever. She goes, oh, that's the one that all the Mexicans go to. And I said, well, mom, I guess there'll be two more going there. I don't know what you want to, I guess. <laughs> How weird. How weird. Yeah. This is, all, and, and you know what? It's, what's the weirdest thing about it is that it's just all in our heads. It really is. Mm-hmm. So much of the way that we look at other people, other cultures, other countries, other cities whatever is it's just in our heads we've we've oh, yeah. made it into something and you know and and I, I i give her a hard time and the thing is she it's not like she's like this like entitled person like she grew up like picking in the fields like she mm-hmm. her first home they had an outhouse so it's not and that's like just one generation removed it's like that's not like way in the past so i'm, I'm it always surprises me how she can have that kind of perception, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know. It, it's, I think it's just like anything else. I've almost started to feel, and I know that there's a lot of, um, this is not a new or novel concept, but um, I guess it's starting to resonate more with me that a lot of things that we, that we consider to be race issues are really just like class issues. Right. Yeah. And um, cause that's what I start when, when I look at some things and, and I'm quite, I'm questioning it. I'm like, Oh, well, yeah. I guess it's it's more of a class thing, and um, and that's definitely it. You know, when my mom said, you know, that's where the Mexicans go, she didn't mean that that's just where people of Mexican descent go. It's where like poor Mexicans go. I, you know, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know exactly where that comes down, but yeah. Um, yeah. When I was uh, yeah. when I was eight, my parents moved us. We lived in the Bay Area, the San Francisco area. They moved us down to Palacios, which is right there on the coast. It's a, between. It's about. It's right between Houston and Corpus on the coast, mm-hmm. yeah. the Port Lavaca area. That's my mom's maiden name, Palacios. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, a tiny little, tiny little town. Like they, they have some, they have nothing, <laughs> really. I think most of the industry, they have a, a, a nuclear power plant that they had built outside of it. And there were people that worked there. And then there's lots of agriculture folks and some shrimping, but you know, mostly it was just this tiny little town. And uh, there was really strong stratification there between the wealthier kids, you know, whose parents had either, they were store owners, you know, uh, business owners or, or agricultural people. And then, and they were almost like 99.9% white people. Right. And then there were black and Latino kids who were, the Latino kids were definitely in a higher rung, but still below. Right. And then the black kids were the lowest. And then there were like, like a bunch of white trash kids. Oh, we were probably, 
we were kind of between the rich white kids and, and any kids that had any kind of ethnic color to them. But what that amounted to is that like a lot of the time I was, I was kind of pushed off and I hung out with all the other, like the brown kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like they're like, cause I didn't really belong with the, the white kids, right? The white, the mm-hmm. rich white kids. Cause my family was extremely poor and we were a weird religion. And like the, in, in that town, like people were really, really, really Christian. And so um, I just remember like, being in this really weird liminal space where sometimes I was accepted by these white kids, but most of the time I wasn't. And so I would end up playing with all these brown kids and the brown kids were, were generally pretty down to earth and normal. Like they, they would just like play with whoever wanted to play with them. Like, sure, you can play with us, whatever, no problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, it was the white kids that seemed to have this really strict code of like, this is who belongs and this is when you belong. And everybody else was just kind of going about their business. The only exception to that was that there was some tension I saw between the black and Mexican kids sometimes. Like there was some tension there. Um, but all of that to say, like it was a wake up call. Like that was the first time in my life because I was raised in a, by, you know, really kind of hippie-ish parents who had this, you know, utopian ideal ideology about, you know, the world. And when I moved down there, that was the first time I ever really saw that. Like this huge stratification of a society where like some people and it was it was not like it was it was explicitly said it wasn't just like you know do you not get it it was like this is how we do it here and uh I don't know it was a weird experience and I think it changed the way I look at the world for you know a long time but but what my point is is that I do think that there's some things that I I do think that class issues aren't always addressed I think race is a huge issue, but I think that from my own experience, there are a lot of things that are really class-based that, um, that get kind of put off on race because there are so many underprivileged people of color. But, right. but in fact, it's not just that. It's not just that. And I think it's really important for us to be clear about that um, because otherwise we can't fix the problems. I, and I don't, and you know me, I, I don't, in any way, I'm, I'm trying to diminish uh, the um, the impact of racism and the the importance of race and culture. And it's just you know, like growing up, the valley was. It's a little better now, but it was terribly homogenous. I mean, it was like you. It was like white and Hispanic kids. You know, um, growing up, I think there was like one black kid in our school. And I think wow. later, later in middle school or high school, I think an Asian family moved to town like and, you know and I say Asian because I think they were they were Chinese but like it, it there was just very little representation you know and so so there it wasn't about like you had this clique of white kids and this and then all these brown kids it was like you just it was totally based on class it didn't mm. matter if you were Hispanic or white and honestly most Hispanic kids probably saw themselves as white especially if they were more affluent right? wow and so like I remember having fierce debates with my mom as to, you know, our whiteness. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and really she was, you know, she was basically trying to say, you know, well, we're Caucasian and well, yes. Yeah. Right. But um, most people won't see us as white, but some people do. Right. So it, it, it is, it is really interesting that intersection, but I, it wasn't until I left and, and came to UT that I was like, Oh wow. I am not really like I, I am something Right. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter what it was. It's just I am something because back then it was just so 
we were just all there, you know, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and um, like I said, the divisions were more based on class. And so that's really when it hit me. And in that first semester that I got to UT, I was in a, in a program and it was, it was a program for, for Hispanic and black kids who had uh, gotten a scholarship, who'd gotten like academic scholarships or whatever. And because retention rates, I guess, were so bad, they wanted to make sure that we had like, like a, it was like a, a summer, a half summer semester is what we did or whatever. And it was a, it was a retention program, right? A way to like make sure that you had some experience for getting into, you know, full blown course load. And, and that was a really eye opening experience. You go from a place where I maybe known two black people growing up to basically living with several people over the course of a summer. And it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, I, I had a great time and, and, and most of my friends now are from that program still um, we're, we're still friends to this day, but it was so, so we were in the smaller dorm and we were staying with the provisional kids. And so these are the kids that had applied to UT and like, maybe their grades weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were like right on the cusp and they hated us because they saw us as like the affirmative action kids that uh. were taking their spots. Right. Mm-hmm. And what was so oh, well, that's a healthy dynamic. Who thought of yeah, oh, housing yeah, those two groups of people? I know. Wow. I know. Um, but the, the irony of it all was that they were, they're fighting for a spot. They were, they were having to prove that they could make the grades to stay. And they were taking like intro to math, like intro to college math or whatever, college algebra, whatever those classes are, all the courses that we had all tested out of, Uh right? Like we were taking like calculus, right? Right. And, and physics and all these other courses. And they were taking like English 305 and like the first English course or whatever. And and I'm like, don't be mad at me because you didn't do well academically. Like that's, you know, I, it was just, it was, it was just one of those things that you just get these looks like every, cause you had to walk through the same lobby. Right. Uh-huh. And, and I admit we kind of took over the lobby. Like we would just sit there and play like spades and dominoes all day. And so maybe they were upset that we, we had the lobby and you know, we always had like the TV on to whatever we we're watching, whatever, but, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was a really fun time, but it got, it did get uncomfortable. And, and there, and I remember one time there was a, there was a truck that drove through the front of these guys in a, like waving a Confederate flag and, you know, yelling different things at us. And, and honestly, it was more targeted towards the, the black kids that were there. Right. But, you know, it's like, and you just, you, you, you go out there and I remember we're all standing there on the little front stoop and there, there's a little drive through, uh, it's just North of the tower. It's in Blanton. Blanton? Yeah. It's Blanton, the dorm. And, um, you know, it's just such a, an awkward experience, not awkward. It's just a, a surreal experience, really coming from a place where I was really part of the majority, mm-hmm. right. To a place where, um, it's now you're a minority and just by the simple virtue of just moving, right. Nothing else changed about me. Uh-huh. I just moved from one place to a different place. It's just, a, it's just interesting. Wow. So what is your, how do your kids identify? Cause I have mixed race kids, as you know, and yeah. we, we have lots of conversations about like, and these questions started very young, like, what are we? And how do you answer those questions? So how, how do, how do your kids identify and how is that different from the way you saw yourself growing up? Well, I've made sure to always be very open and, and supportive of, because uh, they're, they're mixed race too. Mm-hmm. They're I, they're my little Mexipinos because their mom is Filipino and so oh interesting I didn't um, know that okay yeah so so um so they're Mexipinos and and I always make sure to 
try to reinforce, you know, whatever I can of either culture for them, because I think that is important because I remember as early as gosh, maybe like kindergarten. And, you know, and I, I live here in Austin and at a school, a school is predominantly white. Right. And I remember in fifth grade, uh, my older son coming in and saying like, I wish I had yellow hair and I wish I, you know, like, I, so I could look like the rest of my, my friends. And I wish I had lighter skin because, uh, you know, and he's not even, he's not even that we're not super dark, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I would tell him things like, you know, people will be paying to go sit in a tube and get uh, irradiated so they can get your color at some point, buddy. Like, don't worry about it. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll come out good in the end, but that's really hard to hear. Right. When your five-year-old is saying, you know, that um, they want to be like everyone else there because they feel like they're, you know, an, an outsider. And even, even, so I, I even remember like when they asked for at the end of the year at our school, they ask if you would like, like what you would like for the next year for your kid. And I always put, if they could have a teacher of color or something, just so that they have some kind of figure to, to identify with, if, even if it's not their, their friends. And, uh, and, and I, I think over time, the, the school has gotten a little more diverse. So I think that's a little bit better, but either that, or he's just starting making, starting to make friends with the kids who are of color, mm-hmm. you know? So he's, he, I, I feel like we've, he definitely understands his culture, Both they both do although the seven-year-old he's a little more oblivious still because he's um he's still kind of a, like a kid kid you know so yeah. it, it's not as, as big a deal but but they have they, they've cruise especially he knows you know what he is and and he knows uh where his, his family's come from his, his you know like our parents and and stuff like that you know he likes tex-mex food so you know it's it did something well, right I who guess. doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mean anything we all love it <laughs> oh i just i just got the younger one to like beans like a couple of weeks what? ago so it's i know it, oh it was, my god uh, what I no know. but actually dogs don't feel bad my like this is a big point of contention in our house is that my husband hates beans Mm. Um, and I'm like, what kind of horrible person doesn't like <laughs> beans? Like everybody loves them. But so like occasionally I'll just be like, I can't take it anymore. I have to have some beans. So I'll make them. And like, he comes downstairs and looks in the pot with this like look of disdain. And I'm just like, well then don't eat it. Like, it's just, there's a lot of tension around beans in my house. And let me tell you something. They're just like the H-E-B beans from the can. But um, I served them with rice and tamales, and that, that might have been the difference. Maybe that's the know. difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I make them. I make pintas, like, on mm-hmm. the stove in a big pot and eat on them. I'll put them in whatever. Like, I love them. Um, yeah. And not just those. Like, any kind of beans. I'm, I'm a big fan of all legumes. I'm yeah. pro-legume. This is a pro-legume podcast. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is your husband, like... Any legumes? Like, did you do like lentils or anything? Or are they all just, the, the mushy consistency or the seasoning? So, what is it that he doesn't like? He's South Asian, so he likes like the like dal, you know. Mm-hmm. In, oh yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so like lentils that are kind of cooked into like a curry type situation, or chickpeas. He likes chickpeas. Oh, I love um, chickpeas. Yeah. Oh, me too. I'll I buy mean, the like can said, and just like start eating them out of the can. Really? I'll put them on yeah. a salad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for other beans, it's just, uh, it's a battle. Uh, it's very sad. I didn't know this before I married him. Oh, I, well, you know, I, I, I just mix it in with the rice and, uh-huh. and say here. So if he's, he, and he likes the rice. So if he's got to eat the rice, he's got to get through the beans. Uh-huh. So, um, and then, <laughs> and then when he, he came for seconds then he was like, can I have some beans too? I was like, wow. And it was like a big moment for me. And I cried. Wow. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Yeah. That's a battle won. Um, yeah, so, uh, that's pretty great. Do you think your kids are, or do you think they will 
take ownership. I don't want to say have pride because I don't even know what that looks like, but like just kind of take ownership of their identity and say, I love who I am. Or do you think they'll constantly feel the need to, I don't know, explain to people what they are, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I feel like my kids have to deal with, my, my daughter more than my son, my daughter looks pretty Asian. Mm-hmm. people have asked her like they have no like she could be she could be Mexican she could be mm-hmm. a lot of different things my son is he looks like he could be very 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 fair Latino or or Middle Eastern like he doesn't look Asian at all so he doesn't get it as much as she does but but I feel like they both feel like there's this pressure to like explain themselves to people yeah I I really hope I actually like the word pride I really hope that they do take pride in, in mm-hmm. who they are because everyone, no matter what race or culture or ethnicity or whatever, there are positive things that we can draw from the accomplishments of a people. And and there's negative stuff too, you know, and, and we have to own that also. But I like to think that at some some point sometime they'll be like, you know what, I'm really I'm really happy that I grew up, you know, a Mexipino. Mm-hmm. Um I think to to hear them say that would would be just uh very heartwarming to me because in the end, like it's all about like being comfortable with ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And and having that confidence in ourselves. And so, um, so I, I hope that they that they get to that point. I'm sure that there will be times where they do have to explain themselves, right? Where they're like, oh, I'm this or that. But I hope that when they do that, that they can do it in a way that helps open that conversation to broader themes and and really maybe educate other people or you know, or provide a good example. Like there's such a, like I, I always, once I moved, right. Cause before I didn't really recognize it, but once I moved uh, away from the Valley, like you always feel this pressure to be a good example of your race, right. Uh-huh. To be a good example of your culture. Uh-huh. And um, so I know that there will be those times where they're like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they won't, maybe they'll grow up in a, with a better perspective. But I always remember just like, you know, watching the news and whenever like they're going to start talking about somebody who killed somebody, you're like, please don't be Brown. Mm-hmm. Please don't be Brown. Hopefully they don't have to kind of go through that. Hopefully there will be some issues addressed by the time they're a little older, but yeah, you know, it, it's, that's all I have to say about that, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let me ask you another kind of off the wall question. Would you ever consider moving out of Texas? I would later, I think. Um, oh. I, I, I am really fortunate that I do genuinely love my job. Like mm-hmm. I really do. And I feel incredibly lucky to, to be where I am. And, and it's like I said, sometimes I, I get tired of Austin, but I do have a lot of, of friends here and, and my job here. And so I, I can't, I, I don't see it anytime soon, but I, I so I'm an avid fossil hunter. And oh, yeah. um, right. so I love, like, I, I love the idea of just like, like in retirement, probably of just like getting an RV and driving around to all these different, you know, um, fossil spots and collecting fossils and then, and then driving around, and, and stopping in at like schools or, or other things where I can, um, other places where I can share that love of, of fossils and paleontology and, um, and just expose it to kids that might not otherwise know that that's even something. Because you know, I tell my, my kids, ask me all the time, like, Dad, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, well, you know, I, I'd, I would do what I'm doing. Uh, I said, but if I had known when I was younger that you could have a career in, you know, going out looking for fossils, I might have done that. Hmm. And did so, you, stu- you didn't study this at all. It's just no, a hobby. No, yeah, yeah it's it, like I it maybe twelve years ago or so. There's a, a paleo group here in in Austin, and I just started going to a meeting. Um, really, just randomly, a friend and I started going, and um, and just really fell in love with it, and wow. uh, just been doing it ever since. Yeah. What's the coolest thing you've ever found? 
Oh, I found these really great, a couple of mammoth teeth and, uh, and a mammoth part of a mammoth femur. Yeah. So where um, uh, in the Brazos river? What? Out, um, yeah. Out by, um, That's rad. F. Austin park. Yeah. And so, um, did you keep yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, you, if you search like in the middle of the river, mm-hmm. it's not on people's property. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, I guess, public space. And as long as you're not in a, a state park or a national park, yeah, I mean, a lot of the collecting you do is very, and, and the group does, it's all very like surface stuff. And like, we're not digging for anything. Like the, the most significant no excavations. Tools, yeah, no, <laughs> there are no excavations. In fact, there's sometimes people come to the meetings and they're like, hey, I found this, you know, this like uh, ox fossil or something like that, you know, a skeleton, mm-hmm. um, but it's like lodged in a cliff. Can you come help, you know, excavate it? We're like, no, that's not really our deal. Like some people might go to help if they're interested in it, but you know, like you can get by with a butter knife and just kind of oh. popping stuff out of hard dirt. That's about the the extent of it. Um, but the the femur piece that I found, and it's probably, I mean, it, it's it's broken off. So it's really just the joint that, mm-hmm. that I found. And it's about, um, I don't know, I guess about eight, eight or nine inches Holy um, in diameter. And yeah. then it's about maybe like 10 inches long, you know, before it snapped off. But that was under like six inches of water. And, um, how did you find it? I know that was my, my, that's one of my favorite pieces because I was just walking from one sandbar to another sandbar because mm-hmm. you go when the water is really low and you kayak mm-hmm. down the river. So it's a really fun trip too. But I was just going from one sandbar to another sandbar and I looked down and I just saw this, uh, there was like, gosh, maybe like two or three inches of it that was, ex- that was exposed, but it was part of the joint and it was concave and really shiny because the water had been, you know, like smoothing it. And I was like, that doesn't look like a rock. So I got down there and I started, you know, like trying to dig it out. And at that point, it was like towards the end of the trip. And so we'd been out in the sun for like five or six hours and I'd forgotten my hat. So I was just getting like beat down by the sun. And um, so I almost passed out getting that thing out, but I, I got, finally dug it all out and I got it out. And my friend who was with me, he, uh, he says that I looked like a kid on Christmas when I pulled it out and I raised it up over my head. And I was like, ah. Amazing. Um, it was it was it was a lot of fun. And I didn't I didn't know what it even was when I pulled it out. I just knew it was something. Yeah. Um so how did you identify it? Well, after well, it was big enough to where it had to be some kind of large mammal. Right. Um you can tell that after you I cleaned it off and got a lot of the mud off and, and algae and stuff like that, you could tell it was some kind of, of arm bone, leg bone, something like that. And then just based on the size. And then you also like in, when you go to like the Texas Memorial Museum here in mm-hmm. Austin or like mm-hmm. other natural history museums, you just compare it to, to other bones, right? And you're like, eh, it kind of looks like that one. And so, so that's kind of how you, you go about, I mean, you can also talk, they have like paleontologists that will, that are there at the museum sometimes and will help you identify stuff. Yeah. But, but it's, it's pretty clearly that um, just based on the size and, and the way it looks. So, wow. Um, so really excited about it. And, and the teeth, those were a little, they were just like sitting in mud either like half exposed or whatever but that wasn't like they were covered by anything or anything like that so so you just and those basically are pretty obviously go out and it's really just kind of paying attention to the landscape oh, yeah. and anything that looks like it's it doesn't anything that looks different or like yeah. that looks uh too perfect to be in nature kind mm. of uh like you look for certain curves or mm-hmm. um, you that's know. fascinating 
It's a lot of fun. I love it. Um, I've always been one of those people that whenever I'm, I'm taking a hike or something, I'm always looking down at the ground as opposed to looking up. So I always like run into branches and stuff. (laughs) But um, when I found out that I could actually find little treasures, essentially what it is, you know, it it just gave a whole new meaning to it. And I just, you know, it's a lot of fun just to go out and hike and find that kind of stuff. Yeah. I um, lived in Utah for about five years and my, my uncle and my aunt lived there and they used to go out all the time. So they would take us out. I never found anything really cool, but they would find little fossils. They would find geodes. Like there's some places, there's uh, there's a place in Utah called Topaz Mountain where you can just find topaz, like the stone topaz laying around. And, yeah. you know, he had like a rock polisher. So he'd bring that stuff back. And it's really fun. Like, I, I don't know that I have the patience that you do of like really doing the search but when you're a kid, it's also just fun just to go out and explore and look around and look at cool shit. Like there's all kinds of cool shit laying around in the desert. Oh yeah, I mean Utah's a mecca uh, uh-huh. for sure, and and I've driven through there many times. And there's a nice um, trilobite uh, quarry there where you can go in and uh, pull out all these little um, trilobites. But uh, yeah, the kids love it. Like they now they don't have the the stamina or the patience. Like we'll uh-huh. go out there and. Like about after an hour, they're like, all right, are we, is it time to go eat? And I'm like, let's go. <laughs> so I try to, when I have them, I try to pick places that are within an hour's drive. Although we did go up to Jacksboro the other day and, um, and that's like a four and a half hour drive, four and a half, almost five hours. And so that was kind of tough, you know, taking them out there. And then, and then the place I went was really overgrown also, like there was mm. just like grass all over the place. And so uh, it was, there was a very small spot that we could actually search. But, you know, got to get some good chicken fried steak on the way back. So (laughs) that's always, always one of the benefits of a Texas road trip is that there's always these little random places along the way with good, uh, good food or pie or something. So, oh, yeah, I I never eat chicken fried steak except for this place up up that way. And what's it called? uh, It's Mary's Cafe. It's been written up like in. I want to say even the New York Times, but it's been written up like in the Statesman and stuff like that. I, I remember reading through the Statesman, seeing the picture and I clipped it and I was like, all right, one day I will go here. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. You put it and, on your vision um, board for the year. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, and it's, it's really great. It's just, um, it's just a good chicken fried steak, great gravy. And, uh, and so it's kind of one of those things I don't, I don't waste the calories on, on inferior uh, chicken fried steak anymore and maybe there's there's <laughs> better ones out there i'm always open to suggestions um and as you know we do a lot of traveling for work uh dur- during like our grassroots meetings and stuff uh-huh. so whenever i get to go out to like abilene or fort worth it's it's in between the two so i i, I can visit there I'll, I'll drive the extra hour out of my way to go get lunch but yeah yeah um, my job has actually exposed me to all kinds of random little spots in texas so now i can kind of eat my way across the state just Oh yeah, because of that, just because of those little road trips that we take. That's great. It is really, what's the, what's the last road trip you took? Personally, or for for work? I haven't been. Whatever, for, either way. The yeah, last time way. I went down to Palacios actually a couple weeks ago. It's oh, not that far. That? It's like three three hours. Uh, it was great. It was kind of a. It was interesting. It was kind of a. Um, I wanted to go for closure. I when we when we left, uh, we had just left. Like <laughs> I uh, like my mom left my dad and she put us in the car and we drove away. And that was the last time I was there. It was in like in the eighties. So I wanted to kind of go back and get some closure. Cause that's when my kind of my family sort of split up and it was a really traumatic life experience, both going there and, and having the culture shock of living there. And then the, the split and 
there's just a lot of feelings that I needed to kind of work through. So that's bad. That sounds I, tough. Oh, it was just a yeah. Uh, did you find did you find some closure? I did. I did. And it was so interesting because some of the things there are exactly the same that I remember. But you know, when you're a little kid, I, we were, I was 12 when we left and I'm 46 now. And so, you know, you have it in your head and, and I, it was just really, it was a really interesting experience. Um, and I'm glad I did it. I, I am. I'm glad I did it. I really had to think through. I wanted to go by, I went by myself and I just sort of walked. I walked all day all over the town to the school I went to, to the house we lived in, all of these different things. So it was pretty, it was pretty heavy, but I feel good about it. And speaking of, of that, then outside of Palacios, there's a little town called Blessing, mm -hmm. which has this old hotel, the Blessing Hotel. And it's a uh, known for its food like it has this huge um it, it, they right now they they're not doing a buffet but it's like one of the oldest buffets in the state maybe the oldest and it's all like southern food and so um i remember that when i was little going there but i i stopped there on the way um you know i'm gonna have to check it out now yeah yeah it's not a it's not it's not a far drive but if you're going down there anyway if you ever because you if you go down there to visit any of those uh districts or whatever you drive through there and it's cheap yeah. and it's but it's amazing they have this cobbler that's got like cherries and pineapples in it that's just out of this world like mm. crazy good that does sound good <laughs> uh -huh. it's damn good and it's warm holy i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to find some really good leftovers for lunch now <laughs> Hop in the car, drive down to Blessing. It's so I think I have, I think I have a half of a, a Euro wrap in there that I can go ahead and we'll see. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, well, I will let you get to your lunch because we've been yakking for a while. You're always welcome to come back on the podcast. Oh, anytime. You know, I love talking to you. So anytime that um, that you have uh, availability in your <laughs> your busy podcast schedule, um, <laughs> let me know. I just I, let me tell you something. Your um your your whole uh, sign up process is a little intimidating. Because I, I don't have any, um, I don't have any uh, uh, personal brand to sell, you know. And uh, do you and, have? Do you want me to link to your Twitter? Uh, I don't really use it all that much. I oh my god! Did it, you put yeah. a picture at least? Oh, there's a picture. Okay. Oh wait, a picture on your on your thing? Yeah. Oh, mm, I don't think. Okay. So. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to tell you this nicely. Just take a screen. Take a yeah. screenshot. This is a perfect picture. <laughs> <laughs> For those no. of you at home, I'm in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> It'll, it's either this or it's you in the suit. From oh, my God. we yeah. got to figure something out. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just take a selfie and send it to me, please. Okay. All right. All right. We'll all right. I, will talk to you. I will talk to you again very soon because we work together. Yes. We, we'll talk about some work <laughs> stuff, but hopefully we'll talk about some non-work stuff soon. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. All right you take a lot care. of fun. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. <laughs>